Welcome to season four of Mental Health in Minutes, the podcast where we normalize mental health conversations at work and share the strategies and tactics that make those conversations ones you actually want to have. I'm your host, Lindsay Recknell, a psychological health and safety advisor, a workplace mental health consultant, a speaker, facilitator, and an expert in hope. If you're listening to this episode, you know our people need us more than ever, and I know you want to support them, but maybe you don't know the words to use to engage them in conversation or how to respond when they do open up. That's what this podcast is all about. My guests will share tactical, practical, and simple ways to connect with your people, let them know you care about them and are there to support them, and believe in them enough to continue investing in their career and personal development. Each episode will also discuss the future of mental health in the workplace and the top ways we can engage our leadership in the workplace mental health conversation and have them endorse and pay for a positive culture shift within our organizations. It's hard to put into words what the first three seasons have meant to me as a workplace mental health professional. I'm honored to learn from my guests and walk alongside them as they solve some of the biggest issues facing their organizations today. One of these issues, dare I say the biggest issue, I hear from leaders right now is that they and their people are suffering from burnout, a syndrome resulting from chronic workplace stress. Burnout is very personal to me. The first time I experienced burnout was November of 2017, and this experience started me on the path to learning everything I could about burnout and what I could do to prevent it, especially at work. Be assured, you can stop the slide. Burnout is not forever, and you do have the power to come back from the edge of burnout, you and your people. I've included a few simple strategies and tactics in my free training tryout, package of materials you can download for free right now from my website at mentalhealthinminutes.com forward slash tryout. Without too much effort on your part, you can get started engaging with your team and teaching them to stop the slide into burnout for themselves. Included in this training tryout, you'll find two different lengths of presentations, a 15-minute and a five-minute version, as well as the speaker's notes for each, along with a quick training video and a checklist to help you get started. Easy peasy. Just go to mentalhealthinminutes.com forward slash tryout and download your free copy now. I'll also link to the download in the show notes of this episode. Let me know how it goes. Super excited to introduce you to this week's guest, Andrea G. Tatum. Andrea spent her early career as a marketer in nonprofit arts organizations, including theaters, ballets, and symphonies. She was named one of the most influential women in Atlanta by Rolling Out Magazine for her focus on diversifying audiences. Shortly after moving to the Bay Area, she pivoted into tech as a product marketing and events manager. And while her entire career has been about creating more diverse and inclusive spaces, she pivoted into a full-time DEI career after running several of Tableau's DEI programs. A career coach for DEI professionals, she's recently launched a fabulous new website dedicated to helping DEI professionals find great jobs with organizations dedicated to advancing their own diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging initiatives. Excited to learn more, so let's get going. Hello, welcome to the show. It's such a pleasure to have you here today, Andrea. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Would love to have you share with us uh, who you are, what you do, and who you serve. Yeah, well, I know you've kind of given my spiel, my bio a little bit, but I am Andrea G. Fadum. I use the pronoun she, her, and hers. Identify as a Black woman, um, cisgendered, heterosexual, based in Northern California. And I am uh, what I call someone who landed into the role of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And uh, as you kind of read in my bio, I've had this very winding path to this field. And 
I really wanted to create opportunities for other people who are like me, who are passionate about diversity, equity, and inclusion to kind of figure out how do you chart your own path into doing this work or figure out how do I make sure regardless of the role that I'm in, I'm able to make an impact within my workplace to make it more diverse, make it more equitable, and make it more inclusive. So I have um, my full-time consulting business where I help organizations to do this work. And then I'm also uh, a DEI career coach where I help those aspiring DEI professionals on their path into this field. And you sound so passionate about this work. It's very, (laughs) very cool to hear someone who, you know, is, is doing such great work out in the world. And I love how organizations are focusing on this kind of work right now. Do you find this to be a new thing? Like, um, you know, is it, is it accelerating that people are focusing on DEI in the workplace? I think so. You know, the work of diversity, equity, and inclusion is absolutely not new. This is work has been around for a very, very long time. But I think the way in which it's starting to be packaged up, and I think the prominence of it within workplaces is absolutely being accelerated by just the access to being able to see what's actually going on in the world. I think things like social media and 24-hour news cycles really are propelling this work forward. And I also think that, um, you know, millennials and the next generation are also insisting that the organizations they go and work with have diversity, equity, and inclusion, or social justice and access, whatever those, you know, belonging, whatever letters you want to add into that, really be at the foundation of who the company is. And it's important to them as they are actively looking for for new places to come and work. So I think organizations are seeing how important it is to people who want to work with them and are trying to figure out what exactly does that mean for who we are as a company? Because so many of them have not had that embedded into into their foundation as, as a company. And why is this work so important? Excuse my ignorance, but I'd love to hear, you know, why, why is it so important for us as, as individuals and for organizations to really embed this, this kind of work in our, in our cultures? Man, that's a, that's a five hour conversation right there within itself. But uh, I'll, I'll try to kind of give you the, the most succinct answer to it, which is, you know, I think historically, So many people have been denied access. And I keep going back to that word, but it really is what what this work is is based on. And I talk about people from marginalized groups. I think about people of color, Black women, Black men, Latinx or Latine, uh, Latino, um, Indigenous people, women in general, people who are part of the LGBTQ plus community, people who are disabled, right? All of this, so when a lot of times when people hear the words diversity, equity, and inclusion, they think it is strictly about race, but it is so much more than that. It's about creating a workplace where all of those people who most oftentimes are oppressed, who are in the margins, who don't often feel a sense of being included, have that sense of feeling like, okay, not only am I included, I belong here and I can do my best work. And I always give this example of like, 
when you're trying to mask part of who you are, when you're constantly kind of trying to hide who you are, you're not bringing your best self. You're not doing your best work. You're often in the back of your head going, "Uh oh, like did they interpret that wrong? Did they did they think that I meant something else? Is my is my posture being offensive?" I always give this example of the fact that like I'm really cold in meetings. And so if I sit in a meeting with my arms crossed, it's strictly about me being cold. But as a Black woman, it is often interpreted as, oh, well, she has an attitude. She doesn't want to be here. And you want to help to help people understand, don't dig too much into this. Like, how are they able to contribute to this work? How are they helping us innovate? That's what it really comes down to. And having all of these diverse perspectives really can help propel companies to be more innovative and serve a more diverse population at the end of the day, because most companies don't just have a, you know, kind of singular niche that they they cater to. And so you want people with these different perspectives working on your product or whatever it may be, so that they're serving this much broader community of people. So that is that is a, uh, a, 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 a lot to unpack in that, but that's really what it does come down to is, is creating that ability for people to show up and do their best work. And in a in an environment where they feel psychologically safe to do so, that they feel like exactly. they don't have to check themselves at the door. And I love what you said about the richness of adding all of those voices into the conversation, because, you know, regardless of your family of origin or your personal experiences, your lived experiences, you have something so great to add to the conversation Absolutely. and making people feel like they belong um, and confident enough to share those voices is, is hugely important. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, beautiful. So if an organization is thinking, yes, I believe in this, I definitely want to do this work. Where do you recommend they start? You know, I I am a firm believer in starting with data. You have to understand what are you trying to solve for? You have to really know um, what the problems are inside of your organization. I can't go in and treat any two organizations as if they are exactly the same. Things like their location, the size of their organization how they consider remote and flexible work, all of these things kind of contribute to who that organization is. And so I want to understand like what's happening. So I want to look at um, how who's leaving your organization. Are we seeing a trend in which more women, more women of color, more men of color are leaving the, the organization at a rate that's you know significantly higher than other people and why? Um, is it voluntary? Is it involuntary? And then I also just want to understand, like, you know, at the end of the day, like, especially I work with a lot of tech organizations. Are you seeing um, fairly equal numbers in terms of women working in technical roles? What do those numbers look like? What is it telling you? But then I also want to hear from the individuals within the company and understand what they are experiencing in their company. I want to look at the policies that exist within the organization. I want to understand the values. What what creates the culture that your company has? And then you take all of that and really start to begin to assess what problems do you need to solve for? 
then you can begin to create a very uh, specific strategy and priorities, right? No one company is able to say we can solve every single problem all at once. So you want to be really intentional about the things that you are going to try to accomplish at any given time. And so the more strategic, more prioritized that list is, the better. And then communicating that with the people within your organization saying, right, we don't have it all right, but this is the path that we're going on. And this is how we're going to try to do it. And it's going to take every single person within the organization to help us achieve it because no chief diversity officer or CHRO can accomplish DEI, if you will, all alone. It it truly is everybody's job to do this work. And the more transparent organizations can be about what it is that they want to be as a company, the easier it is for people to come along on that. I love a whole bunch of what you just said there. One of the things that really stood out was getting the data to support it. So often, let's say, you know, functional line lever, leaders or HR professionals, they recognize the importance, they recognize the need to do this kind of work. And sometimes it's hard to get that message all the way up the executive chain. And so having the data to support you gives gives even more foundation gives even more evidence to support why this wh- how this work could really benefit the bottom line um you and i've been working in this space for long enough to know that the math makes sense even from a productivity point of view um and then one of the things you mentioned was you know the chief diversity officer a role dedicated to to making sure that this work is is being done in the organization Are roles like that required? Is this something that an organization that somebody can do off the side of their desk? What does that look like? Yeah, you know, when I think about kind of how does diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging show up for an organization, my recommendation is for an organization to usually start by having a chief diversity officer. That person actually should have you know, a direct report either to, I prefer the CEO. There's lots of different opinions on that. Um, But I do think it's an executive position at the end of the day, someone who has authority to make decisions. And I see a chief diversity officer as a strategist. Their goal is to do, you know, get into this diagnosis, understand like what is really going on and be able to build that strategy to help take the company to through all of the things that they need to do in order to to improve, to become more diverse, equitable, and inclusive. That is that person's full-time dedicated job. Then as you get more mature, you start adding to that. I, you know, oftentimes what I see in organizations is that they may hire more of an entry-level role or kind of um, a, a project manager, event manager role because they want someone to come in manage their cultural holidays um, and do all of those great events like Pride and do all of these things. And I love every single one of those events. And I think they are a part of a much bigger strategy. Um, When I think about the role that employee resource groups plays, they're often around building internal community, um, creating a better experience for people who are in these uh, different identity groups. 
That's one, one thing. I want to learn more about what are you going to do to create more professional development? Make sure that we are focusing on inclusive leadership, that people have the tools and the language that they need to be able to do this work. And that's really where a partnership with the chief diversity officer in every single department is able to make that happen. So I think there's so many different jobs within diversity, equity, and inclusion that truly the chief diversity officer is steering um, in the right direction for the organization. Oh, it just gives me chills to hear you say that because I just, I couldn't agree with you more. It is so important. It deserves somebody's full-time focus. And I think where organizations fall down sometimes is they make it more of a checkbook back checkbox activity where they won't know it's important, but they haven't, I don't know, haven't yet convinced the people with the purse strings that they need to spend some money on it, or they figure Mm -hmm. it's, you know, not a whole bunch of work. So somebody could surely do it, you know, 10 or 15 hours a week. And I mean, I appreciate the sentiment, but you're not going to make a difference. You're not going to embed this kind of belonging in the culture of your organization unless you have somebody whose job it is to partner with every other department in the company. Exactly. Exactly. It, it truly is partnership that that is what makes this work really well. It's people all saying like, yes, we see this goal. We understand what we are striving towards, what we want to be. And we're going to all actively go in that direction to to be able to achieve it. And having a a really defined strategy allows for that to happen. I will say, I think it's so beautiful when there's this grassroots part of it. And I don't want to like diminish that or take that away. And you often see that swell of people saying it, right? But you can often feel in that very grassroots um, kind of organization and creation, a lack of ability to truly make change because you don't have that authority. You're not in a role in which you can really make dedicated decisions. So kind of seeing organizations shift from that very group think, organic mindset to saying like, let's bring in a person to be in control of this is always really awesome. And I have no, I love when companies say before we even hire a chief diversity officer, let's hire a consultant to come in to help make sure that we're setting up your chief diversity officer for success. Because one of the things I see a lot of times that happens is companies say, all right, we're going to hire this chief diversity officer. We we're going to solve DEI. And the expectations for what is on the shoulders of that chief diversity officer is so great. And it takes time. It takes time to do assessments. It takes time to learn the culture of an organization. So when the expectations that we've got a new chief diversity officer and they're going to solve it real quick for us, you're unfortunately setting your chief diversity officer up for disappointment and failure within your organization. Mm. And I can imagine what a tough role a DEI professional would have in an organization without even adding all of these extra expectations. And I know that this is an area that you focus on supporting DEI professionals um, to, you know, make some big change and to really have these fulfilling careers. Can you talk a little bit about how the profession has evolved and um, some, what, what are some of the challenges facing DEI professionals these days? 
Yeah. I mean, I think, I think at the end of the day that just that simple fact that there is a dedicated DEI role, I think DEI has for so long fell under uh, the role of, of an HR professional. Um, so I think that is really where we're starting to see this major shift, having people who are specifically dedicated to this work day in and day out. And then, sorry, you know what? What, what was the second part of that question? <laughs> what kind of challenges are are you supporting DEI professionals or what, what kind of challenges are they seeing right now um, in this, in their work? Yeah, okay. So I think some of the challenges that DEI professionals are are really seeing in this work is um, oftentimes a lack of support um, from from the organization because again many times companies are just wanting that checkbox at, uh, activity of doing DEI but they're not always really willing to to dig in and do the work and then to actually make changes. Um, oftentimes what I hear from people who are getting into this work is they go in, they're so excited. They have all of that passion. Then they've got to say, okay, how do I use my skills and my past experience to really make this change in the organization? And the organization said, oh, we wouldn't, we didn't actually want to change anything. We just, we just wanted you to be here and we'll change a few things and we're going to do these cultural holidays. But like, you're asking us to change policies about um, how we do our work or how do we acknowledge people who are transgender or how do what parental policies are we like we don't we don't want to go that deep because that's not DEI and I think people have this idea of what DEI is and it's it's kind of in one place versus it's all of the work that it takes to create that change and so I think a lot of times we're also, as DEI professionals, often we are the people who are coming from marginalized groups. We're passionate about this work because we don't want anybody else to experience what we've experienced in the workplace, feeling like not having that sense of belonging, not feeling included, questioning our ability to speak up and have that psychological safety. So we're often in this role of trying to solve this problem for someone who looks like us people who are, you know, coming from other underrepresented groups. And we often fall into the role of having to be a therapist for people who are experiencing trauma in their workplace. While in a lot of workplaces, chief diversity officers are experiencing trauma themselves. They're being gaslit to think that they were brought here to make real change when in actuality, they were here to just check that box. So it is, it's, you're constantly having to figure out how do I care for myself while I'm trying to have compassion and take care of other people and to truly make change in this organization. Oh, it sounds exhausting. <laughs> you are fabulous humans. You know, and I, and I, I, I say that, I say that in jest, but truly it, it, you know, you must be, be really super passionate about this work to continue to get up and go again, right? To, to have these experiences, have, you know, come from a place of lived experience of, of potentially past traumas and bringing your culture, ex cultural experiences into the workplace. And then also having to educate and support and all of those oh. things. How can DEI professionals take care of themselves? Yeah, I, I absolutely recommend having a support system. Um, and that support system looks like 
creating community of other DEI professionals, other people who understand what you're experiencing, who are doing the work. But I also highly recommend having someone to help take care of your mental health and having a therapist. Um, Getting a therapist was like the best decision of my life while I've been doing this work because you are constantly um, questioning yourself um, as you're doing this work and, and you're making sure like, are you checking your own biases? Are you doing all of this work? Are, how are you feeling? What are you experiencing? And being able to have someone to, to help and support you with that. Um, it's, it is so, so essential because, um, I, I always use this metaphor of like, uh, what they tell you on the plane is that you have to put your mask on first before you put the mask on anybody else. And that is my top advice for for DEI professionals. Put your mask on first. You have to take care of yourself. That means you have to sleep. You have to eat. You have to exercise. You have to do all of those things to care for your mental and physical self in order to help other people do that. I couldn't agree with you more. I use that analogy myself, excuse me, in many conversations because often when we are so service-focused, when we are so intentional about supporting other people, we tend to think that self-care is selfish, um, mm-hmm. that everybody yeah. else is is more important. But truly, you can't pour from an empty cup. You you must find ways to, to take care of yourself first, for sure. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned some of the mechanisms and some of the policy changes that are fundamental to making cultural change in this work. Can you talk a little bit more about that and sort of what what a de what a DEI professional could expect um, the work to look like when they come into a role where they're making changes yeah. like that? Yeah. Well, I'll say this. I'll start by saying every role within DEI is so very different. Um, I often get asked, like, do I have to have this certification? Do I have to have this and that? And so I want to start start there in that it really depends on like, what is the job that you are coming in to do? My expectations for education, skills, and level for someone of a chief diversity officer looks really different than what my expectations are of someone who may be coming in as a DEI specialist, as a generalist, or a program manager, or someone whose full-time job is focusing on like diversity recruiting. All of those jobs have very different skill sets and experiences that you can bring to the table that are very valuable. I think of the DEI person as someone who needs to be able to, again, partner across the entire company and especially partnering with the team that's looking at total rewards. What are the benefits? What are all of these things? I want someone who can really get in there and assess based on what the organization is is telling us, right? What are these policies? Are they are they ableist? Are they anti-racist? What what is going on? And if you don't feel like you completely have the ability to do that, that's okay. Bring in the right people to help to do that assessment. I think it, I think there is this idea that like everyone needs to be able to wear every single hat, and that's not always realistic. Um, someone may have really, really great job at being having leadership negotiation and doing change management 
and doing communications, but they may not have a deep, deep knowledge on policies and things. Bring in the right people to the table. It's about being able to be knowledgeable about what you do know and where you also need support as well. So having all of those right people at the table to really dig in, assess what's going on, and then look at policies, right? Right now, especially with what we've been experiencing around COVID-19, I think one of the biggest things that we're seeing are people having to dig into what is what are our policies around the future of work? How, how do we expect people to show up? Are we creating enough guidelines and guidance for people to be able to know what our expectations are? Because it's very different when you've got people constantly online and communicating via new tools like Slack and Teams versus how do you communicate and show up in day in and day out? So I think it's really important to think about, you know, communication policies, conduct, codes of conduct within your organization, and then truly getting into, like I said, those total rewards, those benefits. What are people needing within your organization to be able to truly thrive and, and be able to have the best experiences? And I love, I've seen so many companies starting to come in with new policies around parenting and uh changing the language around how, how they talk about parenting. I'm starting to see so many more benefits come up for people who are transitioning um, and during while they're working. And those are the kinds of policies that I really want to see organizations be able to evaluate and improve on. Oh, I love it. Um, I really love what you said about just this idea of, I don't know, I traditionally DEI is in a, I don't know, a box. You know, like we think you're one person could come in and do all the DEI things, but we wouldn't expect one person to come in and do all the IT things, right? You have different skills in in all of the areas. And why should DEI be any different? A light bulb moment would offer me and when you were mentioning that, because I don't think we talk about that often enough, that it, it's a, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging all of the things is a spectrum of experiences and policies exactly. and opportunities and exactly mind-blowingly awesome, Andrea. Mind-blowingly yeah. awesome. Thank you One for that. One of the things I, absolutely, yeah, I always try to tell people, right, it's we get into this habit of saying DEI and, and kind of creating this acronym. And I think it, it almost does a little bit of shortchanging this work because I think it's so important to say, what are we striving towards when we talk about diversity? That's one whole stream of work. What are we talking about in terms of creating more, you know, equity within our organization? That's that's a whole stream of work. How are we becoming more inclusive? How are we creating belonging? And not to say that there's not overlap in those things, but it's about being intentional about each of them to make sure are you are you considering diversity? Are you considering equity? Are you considering the inclusion piece in every single part of what you're doing? So I think it's really important to, to break it apart and think about the skills and the things that you need to do to accomplish each of those things that fall under DEI, B, social justice access. <laughs> I, I love all the different acronyms that are out there. Yes. And all of the language, all of the language is so, so, so important. It gives us that framework 
um, to connect with each other. You know, one of the things we do best at Mental Health in Minutes is open the door to these kinds of conversations. And truly, your your the use of your language, your ideas, your inc- your inclusiveness, and and intention building for the future has been so enlightening and so. It feels so hopeful, the work that you're doing. Um, Could you tell us a little bit, speaking of hopeful, tell us a little bit about this new website that you've launched to support DEI professionals? Yeah. So um, just recently, I I released a brand new website called deicareer.com. And it is really really, really focused on aspiring DEI professionals, really helping to give you all a... Uh, kind of a look behind what goes on in terms of DEI, because this field is still emerging as an industry. I think oftentimes people see things on social media, make assumptions about what it means to do the work, but there's not a lot of transparency about what it actually means to do the work day in and day out around DEI. So I have a podcast where people can listen to me have discussions with other DEI professionals, especially those who are doing the work in-house within um, companies. So I think that's so important to understand. And then I have coaching programs that I do. So one, I think it's really important to gain clarity. Well, I have so like I mentioned earlier, I have so many people who come to me and they say, I'm really passionate about this work. And I say, specifically what? And that is a hard question for some people to answer. So it goes back to being able to say, are you really passionate about creating inclusion? Are you passionate about seeing more diversity in a certain industry? Like, tell me more about why you're passionate and then help them to start to connect the dots between their passion, their experience, and their skills. And what is it that those three combined can do to really, truly make an impact within a company? So then some people go, oh, oh, okay, I get it. Like, I've just been applying to every job that says the word diversity <laughs> in it. And I'm like, yeah, let's, let's narrow down that search. And so I help people um, begin to really hone in on figuring out not only like what's the job title, but like what is it that I want for my life in terms of doing this work? Because it's really important to set expectations Think about how a company's values align with your own, like making sure that you're walking into a place where you feel like you're truly going to know what you're getting into. I always say that, right? If you know that you're getting into a place where they're just getting started and it's going to be constantly an uphill battle, but you are clear about that and you want that, great. Some people love building. Some people love just wanting to be able to get in and do the work. So it's important to really like assess who you are and how you're, you want to go about doing this work, because I think that will alleviate a lot of the turnover in this industry. I think it will alleviate some, some of, of the stress that people feel because they may not be finding quite the right role or opportunity for them. And then I help people prepare to interview. And so they're, they know what questions um, they should be asking of an organization because this interview is a two-way street. And then helping them think about like, how do I tell my stories about how I've already made an impact around DEI, even if it's not a title that I've actually held before, because I really want people to help be able to translate their skills and experience um, for employers who may not be able to connect the dots from someone like myself who came from marketing. Say, how how does a marketer 
help impact DEI. And then I can tell them all of the things that I've actually done in my career that were DEI, even though I didn't have that title. So it's really exciting. I have a job board where people can search for their uh, for positions specifically within DEI um, at that website as well. And is that the best way to get a hold of you? Because I imagine the listeners are super inspired to connect with you and really take their career to the next level. So is that the best way to get a hold of you? Yes, yes. DEIcareer.com is the best way to get a hold of me. I am on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram. I'm on all of the the, the social channels. But I would say really um, looking at the different services that I offer, looking at that, and then I also have my consulting business. And, and part of launching this new website was kind of to start to tear those identities apart just slightly. Um, and so uh, AGT Diversity Consulting is, is my consulting business. And then I have DEIcareer.com for aspiring professionals. And of course, anyone who's currently a DEI professional looking for new opportunities, going to that job board is great for, for them as well, or posting a position. If someone's um, currently looking for DEI professionals, they can post their positions there on the website as well. Amazing. And we will link to all of those places in the show notes to make it real easy for folks. Thank you so, so much for joining me. It has been such an incredibly enlightening conversation. And it's just, it, it's just so cool to hear the passion that you have for this work, for supporting organizations and supporting folks who want to do more of this work. You know, I think the future is very bright in this space and we can all get to feel like we belong in our workplaces. So thank you again. I look forward to connecting again real soon. Thank you. Take care. I seriously learned so much from Andrea and I can imagine that you did too. Her passion on authenticity was inspiring to hear and I know how important the work she's doing is for her clients, for their organizations, and if it's not too dramatic to say, for our communities and our world. Definitely get in touch with her if anything she mentioned resonated with you. All the links you'll need can be found in the show notes of your favorite podcast player. At the beginning of the show, I mentioned the free training you can try out with your teams, all about stopping the slide into burnout, that feeling of overwhelm and endless stress so much of us are experiencing right now. To complement those materials, which you can download for free at my website at mentalhealthinminutes.com forward slash tryout, I've also created a 60-minute live virtual or in-person workshop titled From Burnout to Hope, which has been transformational for so many organizations. You and your team will leave this workshop understanding how to identify the signs of burnout in yourself and others, how to put into action the evidence-based strategies and tactics to reverse those feelings of overwhelm and languishing, and to activate the hope circuit in your brain for a future even better than today. It's hopeful, practical, and transformative, and I'd love to bring it to your organization. On our website, you'll find more information about this workshop, as well as the Mental Health in Minutes digital subscription a done-for-you package of presentations and other content designed to help you make meaningful connections with your people, increase knowledge and education about mental health-related topics, and normalize these kinds of conversations in your workplace. The thing we do best at Mental Health in Minutes is open the door to conversations about mental health at work, and episodes like this give us real things we can truly try to make a difference. Being a people leader is especially hard right now. You might feel like you're managing both up and down the corporate ladder. And if the thought of figuring out how to best support your people and yourself feels overwhelming and impossibly hard, let's talk. We're here to do the heavy lifting with resources and materials, along with the training and facilitation, leaving you to do what you do best, engaging with and supporting your people. We have many ways to support you from full service hands-on to guidance and support from afar. So let's chat about what works best for you and your people. 
As always, I'm here if you need me.